Alright, welcome to Catalogs and Noise. Today we're going to talk about Otis Blue. I'm Joe. I'm here with... Tom. Josh. Alright. Um, so, it's... I think this is going to be a podcast full of hyperbole, right? Um, but I, I think well-deserved. What makes this album better than the previous two albums? And should I start off a little, a little bit of a thing here? So, if you would have told me a couple weeks ago that there's only three originals on this... I would have told you no, absolutely not, right? I don't know why, but there just seems to be so much more kind of um, development in every way. I would think that it's like him coming to his own, something like that. It's not. This album follows essentially the same exact formula as the last two. It has all those aspects of like early rock and roll albums where you have a couple singles. I, they weren't even singles as far as I can tell, not all of them anyway, and a bunch of covered filler here. So what is it about this that makes it superior? It, structurally, it's basically number three in a in a series. You want to go? No, go and I'll take Me? it. Me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so anticipating this question was going to come, I thought of this was like my big four. First, the placement of the tracks. So All I right. thought the order of how they unfold, because I'm going to disagree. I think they are better than, than what oh, we no. saw in the pre previous Oh, no, I do too. I think, why don't we do these one by one? I like this, okay, okay. this listening thing. So I think you're absolutely right. There seems to be a kind of thoughtful pattern to this. Yes. Not that the other one isn't thoughtful, but I don't know. This one just gels so much better. I wouldn't move any of these songs. I can't even imagine them in a different place. Um, so there is a kind of cohesion, right? You agree? I agree 100%. Yeah. Okay. No, no wait. So let's, let's just back to the uh, the Great Otis writing, writing sing soul ballads. There was cohesion there. But it was right. it was it was kind of tedious by the end. Right, right? If you take um, ball and chain and switch it with you know the cry song, what is it? Cry mm -hmm. to me or whatever. Would you? You wouldn't even notice. Yeah. You know. Whereas with yeah. this, you have cohesion, but it takes you on a journey that never you never lose interest. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. Yes. So number two. Number two. I'm ready. His voice. It seems right. as if, you know. <laughs> That first album, I guess, you know, everybody in the studio is sort of blown away by it, but I think, like, the best was yet to come, and it was him hitting his full stride, hitting his maturity of what his vocal cords could actually do. He sounds possessed at times, I think. Yes, that's it. He's yes. the, the weariness actually sounds lived right. in and real. Like, when he gets to change, is going to come. You believe him. Oh, my but God. The, but the celebration does, too. Right. So you get both ends of it. Yeah, you get a, a bigger, bigger range right. on this. Then. I mean, I think that's why the, the first, the, rather, the second album, I mean, that was one of the faults we agreed on. There was very little range exactly. on it. I mean, even, even though it wasn't just all soul ballads, it still felt like it was a limited range where you're getting everything, the celebration of shake celebration yeah. of my girl to you know the kind of de you know, down in the valley you know getting in like the kind of that you know, bluesy weariness to you know respect yeah. the cockiness to you know start out old man trouble that's that's a bold move right starting out with a song oh that's God. not doesn't necessarily scream hit potential but it really announces itself this is a serious album yeah so so by the way that's something too you know on the other albums, we talked about how he was putting covers up front, kind of hiding his own stuff in the back for the most part. This one is the opposite, right? He is proud as hell of those three songs mm -hmm. on the first side, prominent positions. Uh, I, I think that's it. There, there's Cockiness, I think, is the right word. There's just an overall confidence, right, that, that just kind of brims when you listen to this thing. Yep. You guys scooped the third one for me. 
I was going to say the mix of party and pain. Like yeah. he, he's yeah. able to express it, and you guys just said this better than the previous album. So yeah. that was the third big. So thing so about me. that though, isn't there a sense that um, I mean, like we talked about with the second album, that um, you can get cohesion if you go kind of samey, right? In terms of kind of tonality, mm-hmm. but there's also a kind of art to what mixing the high and the low, the the. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and making that all cohesive. I don't really know what that is. I guess it comes down to production. Well, okay, a big part of this, this was totally news to me after listening to this album for years. I had no idea that this is basically a 24-hour recording session. Right. Part right. of that cohesion. Right? right? Part of that yeah. cohesion. Like, look, when we talked about the first and second albums, I mean, those are sessions that are coming yeah. here, like, a month apart, you know, weeks apart, you know, years apart in some cases. Whereas this, the only track that was pre-recorded, I think, is uh, "I've Been Loving You Too Long," but that fits in perfectly too. Like, but I, I thought they re-recorded it for the maybe session. they did. I mean, I, there was an existing single out yeah. there, but they redid it. Okay, so yeah. there you go. You have over a twenty-four hour period. You're recording the same kind of mood, the same yeah. feel, of the studio, the same setup. And what, what's the story? They they record all afternoon until they have to go do other work. Yeah. Then they come back and yeah. play all night. Till yeah. The no mention. Right? There's no mention of like whatever stimulants they were on. But can imagine <laughs> Christ. Imagine. And on the way over Josh and I were talking that there's really no record of, of, of uh, who's doing the arrangements and stuff like right. that so it, it would be fascinating to know like you know how much uh, how much pr- uh, how much practice of these individuals how much they knew in advance yeah. or are they just really sitting there on the spot as, as Otis is barking yeah. out like which direction they're going to go are they putting on are they doing these arrangements kind of on the fly and they just know each other so well and they just because actually this is going with my fourth point I really feel as if all the performers that are that are there, whether there's the drums, it's the keyboard, everybody seems to be hitting their strides yes. in their own personal apogee, and 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 they're like in their their moments of greatness. Yeah, yeah. There's there's yeah, not so. a there's not a you know a, a wasted note on this album. Right. Everything is so beautifully sculpted. So if you found out that this was meticulously crafted, that would be amazing. Yeah. If you found out that they did it in that 24 hour time period, kind of on the fly. That would be amazing. Either way, it's amazing. All right, so enough of the hyperbole you said we were going to do. No, of course. I mean, like, like this, this album is well-respected for, yeah. for, for... I'm just trying to figure out why, you know? Because yeah. it is. It's like magic. It's like there's magic in the studio that day. I think, uh, yeah, I think Tom's right. The, the biggest thing is that, that blend of party and pain, yeah, yeah. right? Like, I mean, that... You know, that is something that Otis's voice, I think, more than most is able to convey... You know, and actually, you know, I I have a hard time, you know, Sam Cooke is somebody that has been, you know, a voice in my life. You know, I remember listening to Wonderful World as a little kid and just being captivated. Sam Cooke Party, I think, doesn't really get me as excited as Otis Redding Party. Sam Cooke Pain, I think, is unbelievable. I I think you can't touch Sam Cooke for pain. But... Otis comes pretty close. I mean, so Otis almost, I think, is transcendent there in that sense of bringing the party and the pain together. I think that might be one place where uh, Otis actually tops Sam Cooke for me, and that's that's tough to say. I think on two out of three, he tops him. Yeah. Can you guys think of another album where you do have you have you have three covers in honor of somebody? Yeah. So yeah, I know. I mean, I, I don't think that. <sighs> Ever happens. Well, don't, just don't just to establish it. the context, right? What Sam Cooke he dies, dies a couple in months, what like December December of sixty four. December sixty four. Yeah, so this is July. Like so, like this is just. I mean, something. they're they're thinking like what to record just months afterwards. I know. And yeah, and I think you're right in terms of like they're celebrating him 
in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't ever sense there's like one-upmanship. I think I might have made comments about that. Like I hear almost like a one-upmanship tension in those first two albums. I don't think that's the case with the Sam Cooke songs here. Well, if you believe the stories that are told in the Rabowski book from Otis's widow, you know, he was always in thrall to Sam yeah. Cooke. And so I, I don't know if he was ever trying yeah. to one-up him. It was almost always that he's recognizing that he's in the shadow and going to do kind of his own version. Well, don't, you think, don't you think there's a difference between, you know, the, this colleague that's on the air, you know what I mean, that's a little bit senior to you, that is basically, you know, put out a record called Mr. Soul, but now he's dead. I mean, there's got to be a psychological switch that goes off, and dogs are gone, um, where, you, where you have to kind of change your relationship to that catalog, that song, the spirit of him, and I, th- I think that comes through, yeah. right? Well, I mean, where, where does something like Old Man Trouble come from? That, that could have been a Sam Cooke ballad, if, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I had one thing that's, that's not nearly as smart as any of the ones Tom had, but they're better songs, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, so, so you take, I, I would think with the exception of Mr. Uh, Mr. Pitiful and um, These Arms These of Arms Mine, of mine. The worst song in this album is maybe the best song on any of the other albums. We've talked about why he chose certain songs in, in, in the previous podcast. He's and, and I think we mentioned uh, the last album he was t- taking deep cuts. He's plucking things right, right at not even you know top ten. He's going like right to the top yeah. of the pop charts yeah. to, to to pick you know all, all My the girl. covers. So My girl's he's enormous. already working with songs that have been vetted through whatever American pop right. culture you know. A zeitgeist of sorts, and he's and he's just taking them and polishing them to a new level, and then he's putting forth the best three songs yeah. that he could possibly yeah. put forth at that point in time. And not only that, I mean, I would go so far as to say, as much as I love the Stones' satisfaction, <laughs> I'm gonna fun. I'm gonna reach for Otis' satisfaction. Me too. And, and even with uh, Otis, you know, basically saying, I don't I don't really care <laughs> that I don't know the lyrics so much. He throws the lyric I, sheet on the floor. Yeah. I'm with that. I want to listen to that one more than the Stones. Right? I think that's I that's even more beautiful though that he sat down that day. He didn't know the song yeah. at all. He didn't, and it's it's Cropper that sort yeah. of said, "Hey, why don't we try this song?" and and he introduces him to it, and he and he masters it. Doesn't need the lyrics. Yeah. Makes up uh, probably fifty percent of it. Right, the whole yeah. second <laughs> verse and, and and beyond, and just just does his Otis Redding thing. And then the Stones get slammed for covering Otis. <laughs> right, <laughs> I love that idea. That the you know it seems like that's the authentic version. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, by this point, and this is kind of a, a thought experiment I was playing with, at this point in his career, right, he has, I, I wrote them down, he has um, five, ten, 13 songs, right, the original Otis cuts that he can make an album with, huh. right? So, let's say he waits and he puts those songs out as one album. They don't nearly match up to this song, right? And I only make that album. point uh, right, sorry, album, yeah. to this album. And I only make the point that, like, it's not only that his songwriting is better. Old Man Trouble, the, you know, um, I've Been Loving You Too Long. These are clearly his best songs he's putting out. I think Respect. But the cover choices are perfect too, right? I mean, there's something about the art of choosing the right cover. And I, I know I'm like speculating and making kind of my own narrative here, but here's how I see it go down, right? On the first album, you choose the super hits like Louie Louie and Stand By Me because you need to make a name for yourself. It's kind of grasping. Right, it's a way to anchor yourself to stardom. The second one, you get a little clout. Maybe you go deeper. You want to try something new. These seem to be like bold choices because he's the man, right? Because it that kind of cockiness is coming through, you know. 
Um, who knows if that's actual, that's accurate. You know, it seems when you read the book kind of haphazard, you know, it's basically this guy says this, this guy says this. I don't really care, but you, you can almost see like a kind of artist mind trajectory kind of building, you know, whether I'm right or wrong, there's something going on there that I think is uh, telling a story. I don't know. Rabowski says this is a conscious effort to punch through on the pop chart, yeah, to right. break out of just being, because he, he, he was successful of getting in the top 10 of the R&B chart on, on a couple of occasions, but this was was the attempt to get through to just major billboard, you know, white audience. Especially in, perhaps in response to uh, the great Otis Redding. I don't know why I can't say that. The great Otis Redding sings uh, soul ballads, it's a right? shitty title. Right, well, that also, <laughs> shitty title. But he also, uh, there he was going for kind of deep cuts that seemed kind of odd. We talked about that the last time, yeah, right? Like, right. why follow that first album with... Uh, you know, songs that don't have the same kind of popularity and punch. And maybe he was making, like, a claim for authenticity or whatnot. With this, you know, screw that. You know, he's going to go, he's going to swing for the fences. Yeah, they're, they're great songs. Uh, we'll get more into this later, but I think he's really interested in kind of ambiguous lyrics here and different types of things he can play with. They're not all straight-up love songs, you know, and old R&B hits. Um, also, he seems to be... Pluck, uh, like plucking different genres, right? He wants to do the rock song. He wants to do the old blues song. He yeah. wants to do the gospel song at the end. You know what I mean? There seems to be him saying, I can do everything, you know? And I can now do Motown. I, yeah. I can now do Motown. That's a direct challenge. I think that's very bold and that can go poorly very, very easily. And it doesn't here. Yeah. Everything just kind of matches up. This has the makings for a disastrous set, and it just doesn't go. Yeah, but given what we've seen with the first two albums, I mean, it seems like this is this should have been expected because even that second album is not a failure, right? It it leads like there's so much in there that hints at the possibility, right? So this album should not be a surprise to anyone listening to those first two albums. Yeah. All right, it's a dynamo. All right, so so let's get into the individual songs. I think there's a a lot of uh, specifics to get into here. so what do you make of, this is the third album in a row where you start with a ballad, mm-hmm. right? That's interesting. Um, I mean, I think this is an entirely different kind of ballad, but I don't know. I think in the great albums, most of them open with like, you know, a punchy jab, you know? Um, I'm not sure. The opening notes are a punchy jab, yeah. well, and then, uh, then, it, uh, then it shifts gears right back yeah. down. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, think you right. hear more of a twangy guitar than we've heard in, in, in the previous albums yeah, Cro- as well. Yeah, Cropper was coming into his own in that yeah. last album, and here he owns it. Yeah. yeah. I don't I know if it's a, a 1965 thing of, you know, you're, you're so saturated with, like, British Invasion guitar-heavy stuff on the charts, and maybe it's expected yeah. to do that, but it, it the guitar is more prominent on this than in previous yeah. albums. And I think also, like, with the death of Sam Cooke still in people's minds, I mean, this this is the most Sam Cooke, Otis Redding original, yeah, right. at least in my opinion, of that. Yeah. Like, doesn't, it's, it sounds every bit Otis, yeah. but lyrically, thematically, taking the you know, old man trouble, yeah. you know, you, you're thinking also, like, you know, you're thinking old man river. I know that's not oh, Sam no, Cooke, but you're thinking of, of that tradition. And I think he's basically saying, look, I, I am the inheritor of this, yeah. you know, this legacy. Yeah. You know, I'm, look, this is with an original track. Well, there's, there's an ancient quality to it, right? Yeah. I mean, th- that's exactly what's trying to be evoked in Old Man River, yeah. right? That's from a musical, right? What is that? 
probably like an American musical, I think. Yeah. Remember? I don't know, whatever. But I mean, the, the, the feel or, of that. Working Bass, I don't know. No, I'll put no, that no. out there, but I don't think so. Um, I don't know. Something with the river in it? I'm not sure. The uh, I'm not into music. Oh, we should have looked that up. I don't That's care. embarrassing. But the um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm now trying to think. I can't think of anything else. Um, Right. What is the, the spirit of that song, from what I understand, is like, you know, the kind of like connection to the past, connection to the soul of the river and all those things. Right. It needs to to have like like deep kind of um, archetypal roots to it or something like that. His voice conveys that all. His voice lyrics convey that the simplicity the just of of. You know, like the, the anxiety that's in this. I mean, yeah. this is something that you're starting to see more and more. You know, that's why when he sings, you know, change is going to come. Like, he, he owns it. You know, yeah. like, that seems like that would be, a, like, of all the Sam Cooke songs, that's one of the ones that, like, you don't touch that. Like, that's just such a perfect rendition. Otis comes around and makes it, like, a, a whole other song that stands on its own. Yeah. And I think with songwriting as, as great as this, I mean, he deserves it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um... So, what, do you, what is this song about, essentially, right? I mean, it's an allegory in some way, but, you know, it's using this kind of, like, like mythos, you know, of maybe uh, an African-American kind of identity. It, it's very strange. It, it, am I right? This is the first song beside Mr. Pitiful that is not explicitly about a love connection. Yeah. And I'm arguing that Mr. Pitiful still could be. You know, it's like he's pleading with, and I wrote this down, pleading with fate or bad luck or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. And that's fascinating because you don't really catch that in a lot of songs. Yeah. I know. It, it, it seems to be about aging in a weird way to me. I don't even know if that's from the lyrics. I get it tonally almost. Right? It, it's like... Uh, um, I, I, I didn't I, get that feel. I get the feeling it's almost like, you know, do not go gentle into that good night kind of like, you know, stirring plea. You know? Like, it's, it's definitely somebody that is anguished. Yeah. Right? That is... Kind of fighting back forces that are more powerful than. I don't think uh, I don't think uh, an up and coming kid is going to feel the burden of old man trouble. I think you're going to feel the burden of old man trouble once you've reached a certain maturity that you realize there aren't right. many years left. I'm with Joe on that. He's that, that 24. He's, like if I if I listen to this, I'm thinking, uh, you know, that's why you know most of my life I thought Otis Redding. When I found out he died when he was 26, I just I couldn't believe that. I mean, this guy's got to be yeah. at least in his 40s. What is he? He's yeah. 23 or 24, yeah. recording this song and writing it. I mean, he's, and, you know, as far as I can tell from this book, he doesn't have a whole lot of troubles. I mean, he seems to almost kind of, like, fly Uh, through even the nets of Jim Crow South and all that. Right, but but as far as 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 domesticity and, like, keeping food on the table, right. So we're talking about Rabowski here. And, by the way, I don't, I'm not taking his word as gospel. Uh, (laughs) He, because he does say in the book that, you know, Otis doesn't seem to really to be phased by the kind of politics surrounding him. And I think he makes way too much of the domestic stuff. He doesn't really have any hard evidence. I think he's scraping to tell a story about some, some backstory about Otis, you know, through the wife, through the the father that I'm just not seeing evidence for. I don't really buy into. And I might feel the same way with the counter argument of he's not feeling the political thing. I'm just going on that. Yeah. Based on that, um, this is a guy that he has to get his talents from the gods, I guess, because yeah. it ain't from experience, yeah. if I believe Rabowski. Right. You know? And that seems, that doesn't seem entirely convincing. I'm with you on that. Yeah. You have three songs in a row. You have a black man singing Old Man Trouble, right. Respect, right. Change is Gonna Come. 
to say that that's not political it's gotta, is is completely yeah. off base. I, mean, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, and again, you read the, the lyrics of respect. I mean, okay, yeah, it's a domestic thing. You know, when I can, but I mean, you have you know a black man singing about respect in 1965, and then covering a change is going to come, which is so personal in the Sam Cooke story. But even in the Sam Cooke version, I mean. How can you listen to that song and not be thinking 1960s America and then Otis taking it again like a step further? You know, it's just, it's, it, I know. It's quite striking. Yeah. You know, three songs in a row. I mean, there's no let up. Yeah, you got the party and respect, but I mean, when you listen to the lyrics, you know, there's, there's more going on there. Yeah. So, I mean, this, there's no other way to explain this than, G, than genius, right? Because my only point before was that I don't have enough evidence to say that he comes from like, the hard place that, you know, demands this kind of lyrical experience, you yeah. know, this anguish, this pain, right? It seems like women throw themselves at him, you know, by 16, he's like the best, you know, vocalist in town and, mm-hmm. and things are going his way. And I'm probably, you know, again, I'm not believing that. That seems to be too easy a narrative, but, mm-hmm. but, um, right. So the only way to explain it is just, he has such a kind of like incredible charisma and understanding of, people around him experiences that he's he can kind of play this part or or feel this through other people right i mean yeah like a channel for the muse right, right? I, that, the time, that's gotta right? be genius yeah. you know i mean i don't throw around that word like you know lightly like a lot of people do i don't think but this this is an incredible song it's gorgeous um now the music is off the charts good on this too so this is like just little things, and this speaks to what Tom was talking about before, like the drum rolls, like when they come in, you know, it, it just seems so kind of, I don't know, kind of perfect. The, the horns, you know, how they're kind of prominence and everything. We, it we, all just fits yeah. perfectly. We, that was, so that was a trend we started noticing in the second album, that, that the horn charts were just amazing. On this album, they're just so perfect. They're they're. Just it seems like these guys have been playing together all their lives. Yeah. Seems like them and Otis have been playing all their lives, and it's only been just a couple of years. Yeah, I, I read something. I don't know if it was in this book or something else, where um, Booker T basically says like we're not that great musicians, right? Was it from the book? I don't know, but he. Um, it's just like you know, we just kind of know each other. We just kind of know the room. We have a good feel for it. I, I mean, I think he's being overly humble, of course, but. Um, you can feel just everybody in tune with each other. There's a sense that each instrument can kind of trail off and do its own thing and then, but, but still be in sync and kind of come back to perfect resonance. You know, I never felt that in the first two albums. They they were all kind of sticking tight to the core or they were sometimes competing with each other. Like those, those really ostentatious, raunchy sax lines, like no instrument sounds out of place on this album. Yeah. Everything sounds like it's in service to the song. Yeah. All right. All natural. Right. And then right into respect. Second, um, uh, Otis composed song right up front. The transition is, is perfect. Another transition where you get this kind of like 
pounding prominence that never lets up in this well, song, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And one thing I, I listening to it like a thousand times this week, it's almost as if you have a, you know a verse, but you just want to get rid of the verse yeah. and get straight to the chorus because <laughs> the party's in the chorus. Yeah. Right. That's and, I, and I love that feeling. Like he's just gonna say a couple. Of no, let's just go back to it. Let's go back to the chorus because we just wanted to dance and, yeah. and just jump around or something. So I mean, I guess we have to talk about Aretha Franklin, right? I mean, I, I'm I don't know if this is blasphemy. I'm choosing the uh, Otis song. Yeah, I think it's so much better. I was never I, a huge fan of the, of the maybe because it's it's so out there in pop culture, you just sort of get I sick know, of it. But I, yeah. this this there's something up, and maybe we are misogynists by saying this. Maybe <laughs> we need a, a woman to weigh in on this. But as I said, there's more of a party to this, and maybe I don't like the spelling out of of, of the word and stuff like that. This is the perfect version of it I think I, I would okay. disagree in really? the sense that they're two completely different songs yeah. I think just like we talk about the genius of Otis Redding taking a pre-existing song I, and yeah. totally owning it putting his stamp what Aretha Franklin does and her sisters do with this song and seeing the potential of turning it into a feminist anthem flipping it completely over and then actually making it more universal yeah Right, whereas because the Otis Reed, we we have to reach a little bit to say that this is something that's applicable. A man, you know, black man demanding respect, it is still couched in that domestic setting. Whereas with Aretha, you know, it, it blows up. Yeah. You know, it really is an anthem for an era. I think that's great how Rabowski begins his book by saying, you know, this there is a moment in music yeah, right. history where the music is as important as everything else going on in, you know, civil rights, you know, in the civil rights movement. And it is bracketed by Otis's respect and Aretha's respect. Yeah. I mean, I know that's too, no, no, that's that's too uh, cute a bracket, but it, it works perfectly because Otis makes the statement and Aretha just blows it up. I love Aretha Franklin's respect. I think it's incredible. Which one do I rather listen to and like get down and have a party with? That'd be Otis's, but I think <laughs> hers is I think hers is transcended. So I'm a little I guess I'm between you guys. I feel like um yeah, I feel like her making her her own is what we think of Otis making Sam Cooke stuff yeah. his own, right? The best of that. And and I have total respect for that. Respect isn't my favorite Aretha Franklin song, and I think that's mostly due to what Tom was saying before, that it's just so kind of overplayed. It's so part of culture that you can't hear it freshly, you know? I think you, you might yeah. say the same thing with Dock of the Bay, yeah. right? Or, you know, some, I don't know, My Girl or something like that. The Temptations, that is. Um, but uh, there's something that is just so kind of raw about this that Aretha doesn't get at. You know what I mean? Hers is very highly produced, and a lot of it has to come with the backup singers. The the spelling out thing, I think, is is maybe a, lo- a little too catchy for my personal taste. You know what I mean? But I, I love Aretha. I think um, I think the Lady Soul album is one of the best albums ever, right? I think is that the one that opens the chain chain of fools, man? So. Right? I mean, for me, that's amazing because that's Aretha sounding more like, I mean, not that she's aping him, but the sounding, um, having the kind of grit of Otis in that moment. I don't feel like she has it in respect. I feel like her respect sounds, it goes more towards the the Sam Cooke um, continuum of R&B and less towards the Otis. When she goes more towards Otis, I like her more. You know, so I don't think it's a question. It's just a taste issue, though. I don't know that. No, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think both of these songs are some of the best songs ever written. Right. If I'm making a hypothetical, you know, top hundred, those are both going to be in there. There's no doubt. You know, Um, I mean, I like that Otis. uh, 
I've heard it several times, like on live albums, like he's always couches it with like, she stole this song from me and she's a good friend of mine and this the little lady took it and all these things. And I, I, I mean, one thing Rabowski always talks about over and over again is this mix of kind of cockiness and, and humble, you know, nature in him. And you can hear that just in a, a statement like that. To, to quote Rabowski, I think he says of him that he manages to sound cocky without sounding like a dick. Like a dick, right. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but, you know, don't get me wrong, like, Aretha Franklin's respect is, is gorgeous. And I think for the reasons, if nothing else, for the reasons Josh is talking about, it's, um, it's repurposed, right? Yeah. I think that, I mean, isn't that what the best covers do? I, so I was thinking about this a lot this week, listening to these songs, right? There's, there's got to be an art to choosing a cover and doing it the right way, right? I mean, when you hear, like, you know, one of your favorite bands, oh, this rare cover showed up of this song, there's an excitement of it even more than a new song by that band came out for some reason, right? Right, because there, what is it's, that? it's uh, I don't know, because it's an allusion to a prior work, which means that this artist finds value in it, so there's that, that meta level of interpretation right. that, especially if you know that work, the prior work, and like the artist, you're getting two different things to grapple with. It, it's, it's some kind of like... You become a connection to history, knowing the roots of it. Yeah. I think there's a, a kind of intimacy that's built into that. Why, why do we get that, that, you know, why does it pique our interest? Why do we get that tang of pleasure when we're reading something and we recognize without being told right. that it's an allusion to something else? Yeah. I think we get that same pleasure even in pop music when, when an artist that we like covers someone else and repurposes it, does something interesting. Yeah, I you like know, Where they're, they're the, the illusion is overt, you know, it's not covert, but it's still, it's that same intertextual idea. Well, could, I mean, yeah, I, I'm going to even go a little further. It... It implies that you understand their personalities like they're friends of yours almost, right? So if I'm reading Otis through Aretha Franklin, I have to know Aretha Franklin and Otis well enough to kind of understand those distinctions, perhaps even motivations, you know? It creates a kind of intimacy between me and the music. Plus there's also that just that magic. Take that intimacy, but then the magic of the conversation that's going on between two great artists right. or just two different traditions. And that's why I know we're jumping ahead, but try a little tenderness. I mean, watching yeah. the transformation of that song into what Otis Redding does to it is extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, you're watching magic because you're taking a pretty good song and then just turning it into a blockbuster. Yeah. One uh, other thing, well, there's a couple other things, but something I was thinking about, too, is like this proves that Otis is a good songwriter. Right, as opposed to a great performer, which is undoubtedly the case. Right, we know that. But even I think on those early albums, you have the sense that even some of those best, the best of his songs, aren't going to work with some other chump off the street. Mm -hmm. Right, that they work because he is selling them. Oh yeah. This demonstrates differently. This means that like he can put a product out there that is pure and usable without kind of like the crutch of his voice almost yeah. you know what I mean oh yeah. yeah like you feel I mean let's face it this is the first album that's got genuine sex appeal on it <laughs> yeah, right? That's right like really like you right. feel like respect I mean he's demanded respect is that all he's demanded right, right. like it yeah. you know like really like you feel you feel the heat on this and I wasn't feeling that so much in uh, you know the soul ballads or or even the first first album yeah so I got three distinct readings of this work right mm -hmm. again right not explicitly about a love romance you know it seems to be about a relationship but it's different than just kind of 
you know, baby be with me, you know, I'm so hurt, something like that. It's far more psychologically complex than that, right? Because you have a man that is begging for respect, which is kind of paradoxical in nature, but he's not coming across as weak or subordinate in any way because of the delivery, right? So you have all of this kind of um, tension that has to kind of play out through the vocalization, which is kind of the trump card of the whole gambit, right? Yes, sir? No, I was just oh. saying, then you also have the line, you can do me wrong when right, I'm gone, which seems, you know, you know, extraordinary, you know, freedom given there, so long as when I'm there, you, I mean, that that's, where in right. pop music do you have that idea that, like, look, I don't care what's going on when I'm not there, but when I'm there, you know, I want respect. Right. And which also implies that he might not have equal respect for her, or he might have equal respect for yeah. her, but that becomes kind of questions, right? It's not, what was the 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 wimpy songs we heard last time? Like that Chain are, and Bound. Right. Chain, yeah. That are all just about subjugation. This is, this has thank like... Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This has like those kind of opening ideas, but does so much more with it. And he brings the party. And, like, and I mean, I, I love yeah. Thank You very much, and, and, and Chain and Bound is a good song, but I mean, this is... The status of classic. So the drum never lets up. It's yeah. bop, bop, bop. There, it's yeah. a one, two, three, four the whole time. The white person beat. It, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Um, but but it's more than that because those rolls come in and, you know, switches it up. Um, what? Uh, Al Jackson, right, is a tour de force on this album. Most prominently, I think, on this song and, uh, and Shake. Shake. Shake it through the roof, but we'll get to that later. So, other readings of this, right? I, am I going on too long about this? No. I might sometimes. I feel like overexcited. Maybe. <laughs> the, um, you have so you have the kind of love affair thing, right? Um, I'll just go to this up. So, what is the political message then, right? It becomes this kind of metaphor for civil rights or something like that. I don't know that that comes through in the lyrics at all. I, I mean, I've heard this read before. I think it's a correct read. But I think that all has to come through tonally. Delivery. It's delivery, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it's everything to do with, like, the, the prominence of the black voice, you know, speaking back. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I think that's it. Um, all right. What do we say about Got to Got to, too? Uh, Which is all throughout this it's album. It's all throughout yeah. the album, right? I was thinking, like, do we ever hear that before on previous songs? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's a vocal uh, tick that kind of takes on. The last album, another. we heard it once. I forget what song it is, yeah. where you have the, 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 the stuttering... Um, uh, like a sort of some sort of machine gun effect of just like the yeah. same phraseology over and over. I think it's like the penultimate song on the last album. I, yeah, I can't. Those names do not stick to me in that last album. I swear, except for Mr. Pitiful. I don't know. It, it could but be I think a product right. of the fact that this was recorded over a one day, a whole day, yeah. twenty four hour period. So certain things that you're doing in one song carry over into the other song. Home in your heart. I got that. I got. Right. I got. Uh, that was the the Reading Winfield Sock, yeah. uh, Scott song. Um, one more thing here. Um, oh my God! This is this is a this is a, a, a deep look at respect. I'm, I'm doing James Joyce style uh, <laughs> uh, questioning here. Um, the hey hey now I didn't realize that's William Bell uh, doing the backing vocals, 
And my question was, is this the first time we have backing yeah. vocals? Yeah. Yes, it is. We were it talking is, about that right? in the drive over. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not just there. We also have it on Wonderful World briefly. Right. 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 And um, I always thought in those first two albums that it was a uh, benefit to not have backing mm-hmm. vocals because it was just about him prom- his prominence and, you know, especially on songs that feature backing vocals that he's covering. You know, that that was a bold move. Well, Josh said it's economics. Well, I mean... Bit. You know, one of the uh, the figures, I can't remember, one of the horn players is a little more cynical about it. That mm-hmm. You know, it's great to have uh, Otis unadorned, but he makes the argument, no, it's more Jim Stewart of Stax not being willing to pay backing vocalists. Right. So oh, I, don't know, so? I don't know who's right. I don't know. remember reading that. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe it's a happy accident. But um, uh, it's interesting. I thought you meant economic in terms of, like, the vocal lines, right? Because, no. because the hey, hey, hey is kind of butt up against... You know the verses, yeah. and I thought maybe they wanted to do it in one take, so therefore you get a because you can't do both, something yeah. like that. I might be completely off on that, but I was I always like live recordings, like when as as many people are like playing live as possible. I think it was, I always think that. Really I would imagine sick. though, even with those backing vocals, that was probably all done with the band playing. I mean, that's the other amazing thing. Right, it sounds right, right. like there's little if any overdubs. That it's all just played, you know, captured in a few takes, and best yeah. take is the one they take. Well, the acoustics on the Stax studio must be yeah. just magic, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a happy accident. I mean, you're turning a theater into right. uh, your recording studio, and it works. Yeah. Um, all right. So, track number three. Are we all in agreement that this is better than Sam Cooke? Which I almost feel is kind of blasphemous. No. No. I think, like, just like what I was saying with respect in Aretha Franklin, respect. They are two masterpieces that stand side yeah, by side. Yeah. All right. I feel the same way. I. But if I'm grab, like, I just. It comes out to taste. Let's like put it this before. way. Now, taste-wise, the the Otis Redding version is far more immediate because you yeah. strip away the orchestra and his voice just sounds more raw. I mean, Sam Cooke sounds like an angel. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, Otis yeah, doesn't yeah, exactly. sound like an angel. You exactly. know, Otis sounds like a man that's you know gone through tremendous hardship. Sam Cooke actually has gone through tremendous hardship, right? Like... You know, I was reading in this book that, uh, you know, he had just lost his kid, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and so I didn't know like, that. Knowing that, hearing that song puts it in a whole different way. Also, curiously, Otis changes the lyrics quite significantly. Yeah. Like, you know, Sam Cooke talks about, you know, going to a movie theater and being told to, like, get out of town or whatnot. Whereas it's weird yeah. that Otis would change that because that definitely seems like that would more hit to the idea of, you know, segregation, Jim Crow South yeah. and whatnot. Right. You know, Otis goes on a riff on uh, you know, ask my brother then I ask my mother and I'm not quite sure if that's better like that's the one instance where I think Otis changing something I'm not sure that I'm as into like well, what's, it, what's your read it on it makes that? a different experience um, I think Otis particularly with Cook but across the board I think this is a stand by me as well he's always he's always trying to highlight the personal over the universal right so brothers yeah. and mothers okay. make more kind of like personal connections and and you know I don't want to use this word too lightly but like have more soul to them you know than the uh, you know these ideas of these kind of pointed civil rights illusions you know I, I thought that was what it was all about could be yeah yeah I see three uh, ideas that are just being uh, bounced around in, in in this song first life is hard as hell and. Right. This kind and of this is cook. You mean? Yeah, the, uh, no, uh, well, just, the, the, the cook. Well, whatever he does to whatever he's working with at this point in time, who knows? Like what he's. I didn't look at the two of them side by side, right. so I don't know what he actually cuts out. But he's got the life is hard as hell. 
then you have the pleading to brother and mother, and then after, because you, you work from this, uh, the, 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 the slow, and then all of a sudden you have a squall of music that just yeah. sort of explodes yeah. on you. He then, you know, but something's going to change. And it just returns to these three ideas, I guess, three times throughout the entire uh, yeah. piece. Well, the repetition of the brother-mother stuff, I think, demonstrates this kind of, like, deep confusion, uh-huh. anguish, right? That I don't think Cook ever gets to. Cook always seems kind of, like, assured that a change is going to come. I think Otis is is almost like pleading hopefully. Yeah, it's more of a weariness that, that a we weariness. mentioned before. Because yeah. that one line, and I don't know if it's in the Cook song, he's I'm tired of standing by myself. Like that theme yeah. of loneliness sticks out more of hopefulness. I think in the Cook song, you feel more hopeful. That's true. You You've been abandoned by your mother. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. I didn't read that, but that's good. It, yeah, it's tough. Um, so, how about this? Yeah. So, this might sound blasphemous. I would say that the beginning is far more effective than the, the Sam Cooke beginning with the horns. The and then so that much first note, that might be my favorite yeah. vocal performance by Otis Redding, that I was born. Well, I would take that over anything born. else. That's that's incredible. <laughs> no, it's true. Well, do that again, Joe. I think you got it. I won't. He, he elongates, right? Yeah. It just, it just, I, I, yeah. I like this one better. And then also his He's, commentary. Once again, his commentary, like in Stand By Me, I was born by the river. In this little old tent, oh, like yeah, you know, like he yeah, comments right. on, like I was born by the river. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so another another lyrical thing I noticed was um, the um, he doesn't rhyme die in sky like Sam yeah, Cooke does. He has clouds, yeah. right? So like, what is that? That's basically saying like there's a rhyming pattern that exists that I'm, I'm not only going to ignore. I'm going to like just kind of like. A shoe, and my voice is gonna is gonna be the instrument, not yeah. the not the structure, not the yeah. rhyme. You know, the lyrical beauty of a rhyme kind of goes along with Sam Cooke's voice, though. Exactly, so this, is, this is what he's doing. Exactly. I imagine like the same story with the satisfaction. The lyric, like there probably was no lyric sheet. He's probably just singing for memory. Like yeah. he doesn't care. Like he's he's gonna make it his own. And going back to the beginning of the song, I mean, you're coming out of respect, which right. was just the, the, the chorus overwhelmed all parts of the song. You're having this the, this sort of dance party of sorts. You need the, the horns are signaling this change in, in, yeah. in tone. Yeah. And I think by drawing it out, because I think you needed to draw it out because it would have been you mean too abrupt. Uh, yeah. yeah, in the beginning, because it would have been too abrupt to come right out of the fade out of, of respect. And I think all of these songs fade out. And we talked about the fading out, and, and, and I don't know why they opt for that. Maybe, and I was thinking in my head, it's almost as if, like, you know, Otis, we've wound him up. He's just singing. He's probably singing for the next 50 minutes, <laughs> right. and we, we just have to, like, fade it out. Uh, the so, producer has to control him. Yeah, exactly. Control this himself. is it. I fucking love um, that. But, um, yeah, you have to have the horns, and then you have to go into his vocal, which is just so stretching out that note. To, to pull yourself away from yeah. what you just experienced in that last song. And, you know, I think you alluded to this before, the horns are so different at the end. When you have that, like, that incredible pierce, yeah. like, it's like they turn the volume up on all horns. Straining, yeah. Right, and um, and it just cuts through everything. Yeah. And it's, it's jarring. It's, it's amazing. But that's such a different horn than the first one that kind of, like, Almost like lulls oh, us in. Oh, because it's beautiful. Yeah, it lulls you in. But then right. those, it's like a clarion call at the end. I know. So like what the is heavens that? Right? Crash open. That that's got to be just the kind of like emotional fervor of the message, yeah. right? That can't contain itself at all, right? Like it, it's 
it's what the voice can't do, right? You yeah. know, this kind of like like rebel. And I think it's also what a what an orchestra can't do, because I mean, there's right. just something more human about something that's coming from your breath mm-hmm. than what you're bowing across a string. That's why I relate. I mean, the Sam Cooke thing is almost like transcendent heaven, yeah, right? Right, right? Whereas this is like earthy. Yeah. Like I think we've said that before. Right. We've used those those trite yeah. metaphors before, but that's totally what he's doing. He's bringing it down to the level of the man, which is why I think. Yo, if you're going to take one of them as an anthem for that era, you would go with the Otis version. I, I would. I think I would. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I put on the Sam Cooke today. The Sam Cooke song only sounds maybe at all weak compared to the Otis. You know what I mean? You hear that alone on its own terms. And I would never dream of saying anything but glowing things about it. It's, I don't know that you compete with the greatest singer ever. That's the problem, you know? Um one more thing I had here was, uh, oh, the drums, right? Almost get kind of like martial at times, yeah. right? The it, it becomes like that, that it, kind it of mimics rapping. Though, it mimics the arrangement of the Sam Cooke thing, but it's it's yeah. definitely done with more power. Yeah, right? It's that, it's that snare. It's almost like, a, I don't know, like, like a, a marching band, mm. uh, you know, military call or something like that, right? And I think like what Cooke's doing is, is apparently... Um, you know, those are going to be like the drums of the resistance almost, something like that, right? I, I like that Otis picks that up, you know, even though it's maybe he's not as overtly pointed in his politics, right? He knows, I think, or whoever, maybe it's Jackson, knows to, you need that touch yeah. maybe to, to carry the song through. Oh, one more thing I had, I know I keep saying, um, I didn't, you know, I never struck me, and it probably took the Rabowski book to, to hit this, that the lyrics, um, I've been too hard living. Um, I'm afraid to die. Like so soon before Cook's death. Like that's really sad and eerie, yeah. man. Right? Uh, I, Just I like we were talking about uh, listening to Dock of the Bay. Yeah. No. Right? Exactly. You know, exactly. it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. I never. Uh, I never really thought about that too deeply. It's really tragic. Yeah. Right. I mean. Yeah. The whole circumstance surrounding Sam Cook's death is just so distressing. It's so. Yeah. You know, it's just. Nobody yeah, knows. Some, something Nobody could knows. have been, it could have been prevented. Whatever happened, I know it's still shrouded in mystery, but that didn't have to happen. No, no, it's terrible. Um, all right, song number four. Wait, before we go, oh, just sure. one final thing. This was neither yeah. here nor there, but uh, I, I just I melt anytime I hear such a beautiful, you know, quivering uh, tremolo guitar. That oh, beautiful, yeah. sensitive Steve yeah. Cropper guitar arrangement is gorgeous. Everything about this. I, I know. Is like perfect. throughout the whole freaking album, though, really. I mean. Uh, yeah, every yeah, every not every, wrong instrument, there. every instrument um, down in the valley is great. <laughs> I mean, right? Another, you kind of need it right now at this yeah, point. Exactly, after the head, that's the, again exactly. we're talking about the pacing, right? You got a, a tone change and it's got a strutting feel to it. So you, you go yeah. from whatever you were, whatever emotional hell you were dragged through in, in, in the previous song. Now you're now you're yeah. up and about and you you're. Because I was thinking about sequencing, right? And I think it would have been easy to put a change is going to come at the end of the album, right? Cap it all off. Yeah. End it with that. It would have made complete sense. Except you lose that, like Josh talked about before, the, the three kind of political messages, perhaps, lined up together. And, um, and I, I don't... I think as the third track after Respect, it shows, you know, the diversity that I think he wants to get for. Yeah. I actually think it's perfect as it is. Because you have the anecdote here, right? Mm-hmm. If this was a throwaway next, it would be a waste. The, the sequencing mm-hmm. would be all wrong, I think. 
you need something that's going to maybe not stand up to it in terms of like message or, or kind of like, you know, importance, but it does stand up to it musically. That's what's needed. You have them? No. Oh, that was it? All right. Um, so, so I say, like, so, so in the, in the other covers that we're going to see, he's, he's getting things from the immediate uh, pop chart. Here he's pulling, because this song, yeah, it was done by Solomon Burke, but it seems as if he's just taking a traditional yeah. song that's coming from the early right. 1800s. Yeah. And the Andrews sisters, even like yeah. that, was like a hit in like I guess forty four, I think it was. So this is in the minds of people, whether people, it's in the collective well of song knowledge, yeah. I guess. African American spiritual, right? right. And a lot and of the so lyrics. There you go. You're going right from change is going to come to you know channeling the spirit of Sam Cooke yeah, to right. channeling the spirit of a uh, you know a legacy you know and going you, even further back. Yeah, when you use lines like you know down in the valley, you know as old as hell, and then we go back to some of the previous songs, you have that 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 same feeling. And I did look up. It's old man uh, river is 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 Shobo. Paul Robeson. I don't know how yeah. we didn't remember Paul that. Robeson. I felt kind of bad when I looked up. Like how, how the Paul Robeson is my. Man, he's your man. I love Paul Robeson. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but you get that. You get this yeah. old spirituals yeah. that are just. And this song kicks the Solomon Burke version. Yeah, you know, it kind of does. You know, yeah. This so is incredible. There's one cool thing I like about the Solomon Burke, which is so like kind of soft and yeah. weak compared to this. What is that? A tuba? Yeah, it's doing like yeah, a bass line. Yeah. It sounds That's really cool. It's cool. cool. But beyond that, I mean, Solomon Burke's cool. I like. Yeah. I like some of his stuff. But you're, you're not down in the valley with that no. song. You're down in the valley with this one, right? right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You really are. So this is a song that I can't get out of my head that I'm, I'm like singing like, you know, between classes and such, you know? And it, it has everything to do with the strut of the vocal, yeah. right? It, it's that kind of manner down, you know, yeah. like he, he just sells the shit out of it. <laughs> and his cries of pain at the end. Mm-hmm. They're kind of comical, but they're, they're yeah. fun. Like it's like, you know, yeah, this is... Let me show you what pain feels like. Yeah. You know. So um, I was talking to uh, Dave uh, today about this song. This is like one of his favorites. And he, I, I don't know if I, he made the claim that the, there's a kind of echoey effect in a lot of the lyrics and in the, the instrumentation that is similar to being down in a valley. Hmm. I thought that was interesting. Like I don't know echo, that I, like an echoing sound. Yeah. There. I don't know that, uh, that I can pinpoint anything, but uh, I thought that was... That was interesting. Uh, I, I think, what is that called in classical music when you do, um, you do vocalization kind of patterns that sound like the spirit of the thing being expressed? I don't know. You don't mean onomatopoeia. No, <laughs> no. There, there's, there's a kind of onomatopoeia um, quality to singing. Like, it's really like old madrigals or something huh. like that. You use it. I don't know. I can't get that. But um, uh, one more thing. I, I love when, at the end of this, when the... Um, the song kind of like breaks down like and just it goes crazy yeah. right it's like it's another instance where like the instrumentation it's like all right all bets off let's do what we want it's almost like jazz you know, it's, it's not quite like that because you still have that kind of you know rhythm cohesion but everybody sounds so free you know like 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 not um i don't know not tamped down by the expectations of where the song's going i i, I love that and you can only do that because you have such a solid backbone in the first two-thirds of the song, you know? Everything is structured so perfectly. Hyperbole, man. I'm hyperbole said, yeah, I knew it. And this is, I mean, this is one of my favorite albums ever, right? I was just listening, like, what are my favorite albums ever? This is, like, number three or four, I think, tops ever. 
It's high praise, man. I know. I, I mean... You, you have a uh, you know, pretty decent taste, Joe. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, all right, and then we end what probably the most perfect side of any album with like another Hall of Fame greatest hit of all time. Uh, I've been loving you too long, right? Um, so apparently this was written in a hotel room with, <laughs> with Jerry Butler, who uh, we realized we did not know anything about yesterday or last time we, uh, last week. Um, it's, it's incredible. It's another one that kind of starts one way and ends another, right? I mean, I think the songs on the first two albums were, if nothing else, consistent. Even the great ones, even These Arms of Mine, right? They, they didn't go anywhere I wasn't expecting, right? Yeah. So I kept thinking about These Arms of Mine when I was listening to this song, because they're very similar in nature. Yeah. Um, but you don't have a band playing like this on These Arms the of Mine. And, and I, think, I think this is a little more sophisticated. Yeah. I like These Arms of Mine. I think, I think this is extraordinarily more sophisticated. Like so what is that? lyrically. It's structurally, right? Structurally, but also lyrically. I mean, oh, yeah, the I mean, whole yeah. idea of, you know, love that's aging. I mean, that's not a cool thing to be talking no. about in a pop song. Yeah. So, like, it's, like, once again, like, Old Man Trouble, this is written by a, you know, 24-year-old. I don't know how old Jerry Butler is, but, you know, this is crazy. I mean, this is what, you know, you know old men like us should be thinking about, you know? Like, you know, relationships <laughs> that, like, you know, love, yeah. is it getting cold? Is it getting tired? Is it getting weary? But okay. I still, like, it's become kind of a habit. Like, he talks about love as a habit. The word habit Ooh, is yeah. shocking. I don't know why you guys are staying so far away from the, from the biography of it. I mean, the idea of, of love being sort of on the brink of uh, expiration. He is married to the same person for a while, which is fine, but he's on the road a lot. Maybe, maybe the temptations and stuff like that. I, the Rabowski book, I think, talks about their relationship a little bit as like obligation of yeah. sorts and right. he, he wanted loyalty or whatever and uh, you know or wanted to be loyal I guess but I mean maybe th- I hear a lot of him struggling with yeah. his own life in it and, and 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 maybe when you are 23 24 year old, years old your own solipsism may project more desperation and we're just picking up on, on on feelings and vibes of somebody who is several decades older when, yeah. when really he maybe is talking about his own damn no, experience. And, and let's be honest, if we were all sitting around here talking about this when we were 23, we wouldn't give a shit about what 40-year-olds are talking about. We'd all say, of course we know these feelings. Yeah, like we relate exactly. to, I, I get it. I totally get it. But from my you know 40-year-old perspective... You know, I look at a 23-year-old and I think that guy's a kid. Like, what does he know? And and the fact, I mean, that shows you the power of the song that I, at my age, could say, holy shit. Like, that's, this guy is speaking truth, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how many songs can hold up as well across generations like this, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, But ultimately, I think you're right. I'm I'm not trying to diminish the anguish of a 24-year-old. I felt way more anguish at 24 than I do now, you know? There's no doubt. But... The, the kind of wisdom with which he conveys it is the shocking component. Yeah. This is a song that is beautiful, gorgeous in the beginning, and is like a frantic emotional mess at the end. Because of that dark key change, which comes right. so unexpectedly, mm-hmm. and then Bam. that you think, okay, ordinarily you got a key change like that. Sometimes it resolves back into the key, right. or it just does the same thing, but in a different key. But what this seems to do is it, it shifts it becomes dark. Like the, yeah. the melancholy becomes thick like a cloud. Yeah, I agree. Oh, it's extraordinary. And, and These Arms of Mine is not doing that. No, I know. Nothing and, prior to this is doing that. I was thinking about the Cropper guitar in this. It's almost like in those first couple, I guess, verses, right? He sings a little. You get the 
the plucking, like almost like like heavenly little interludes, all all building to this rapture that like who could expect? Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's great, man. Um, I like the story that uh, Jerry Butler hears this on the radio. Somebody tells him about. It, he listens to it. It's like shit. I was going to record that, but I can't do that now. <laughs> you know, just basically. He killed it on I, that. I don't know how this... I mean, I'm sure people have covered it out there. I don't know how you could do it. I mean, it is... This is the, what, apotheosis of the soul vocal, right? Yeah. What's a better soul vocal than this? Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible. I mean, for a ballad, you yeah. know, definitely. Um, all right, so... I mean, just hearing him say, like, tired, you know, that yeah. when he holds that out, like, his voice is straining and becoming so thin and attenuated... I mean, he owns it. Yeah. So that's a that's a perfect side of music, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think side two is perfect in the same way. You know what I mean? I, I, not that I would change a note. Because the sequencing, it, it doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same logic. I agree. Right? Like, I can't, I can't tell you exactly why shake to, what is it, shake my girl and wonderful, wonderful world. world. Me I can't make the argument that we made for those first five songs for how those go. That's perhaps an unfair criticism, but you're right. It's not, it ain't the same. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't tell a story the same way, right? I feel like, um, besides shake and maybe, um, the, uh, the last song, um, Everything else could have kind of gone in any order, perhaps. Maybe not satisfaction. But, yeah, there, there's, um, I mean, arbitrary is too pointed a word, I think. But um, there, does, there doesn't seem to be a kind of inspiration in mm-hmm. the, the sequencing the same way the first side does. The first side's, yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what that is. Shake, though, to start the second side is perfect as well. Once again, like, uh, come on after old man trouble, going into respect. Yeah. Or change is going to come, going to down in the valley. Right. And then side two, the party hits you right away. Right in that know. first like horn blast, right away. Uh, it's so great. Um, and I probably said this before, drumming tour de force, right? And, and not only just like kind of technical, you know, like he's playing all different kinds of drums in different yeah. ways, right? Uh, it's, it's too much. I, I just fall in love with that. Um, this is... Absolutely, undeniably better than yeah. Sam Cooke. I, I was oh, surprised when I went back and listened to the Sam Cooke version. It's it's restrained. It's very restrained. For a song that's telling people to shake their asses, you know, it's it's almost subtle. Yeah. The um, But then again, I don't know how much of it is that because I'm listening to Otis so much and then I go back to Sam Cooke. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's the thing. Yeah, I know. Is it context? But, um, I mean, and forget about their vocals. You know what I mean? It, it's really the musicality that puts this over the edge, you know? And it's unfair because Sam Cooke couldn't sing this way to this vocal line. It just it wouldn't suit him. Yeah. I get that. But um, I, I don't know. There's nothing really memorable about the instrumentation in that song. It's a well-written song and played perfectly, but it, it's not about that. There's not the same kind of... Joy. Same kind of joy. It doesn't feel like that, there's the joy in the song like there is. I feel here. bad bashing Sam Cooke. I fucking love Sam Cooke. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Um... So I was thinking about like, um, you know, when we talked about the first album, we talked about the dog and dance, like, you know, instruction, yeah. instruction <laughs> songs. Um, this one I love because it seems to be like, it seems to be the anti-instruction song. Okay. Right? Yeah, the, the lyrics just, mean nothing. Yeah, they ain't instruction or anything. The, 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 the words are just placeholders right. for, for, you know, sounds. So, so you don't know how to shake it like a bowl of soup? Like a bowl of soup. Right? <laughs> yeah. Shake it like a bowl of soup. What does that mean? I know. I, I think he's like... 
it's like purposely supposed to be stupid. Is bowl of soup in the Sam Cooke? So, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it is. The um, yeah, that's weird. And, and no, I'm giving Sam Cook credit for this. You know, like you hear the locomotion or the dog, I'm so automatically supposed to think like, oh, there's dance steps. This is how I do it. This one is basically like move yourself around like a whip, like you know, act the fool. It it's it's so great. It's like um, what does it do? It's trying to get at the spirit of what dance should be. You know, it's it's uh, it's a dance instructions for white guys like me that can't dance. Like all you have to do is just move your body. Yeah, right. I, I would put this in the category of like. Um, uh, Wilson Pickett, like, you know, Land of a Thousand Dances kind of, right? It doesn't matter. You just kind of, you just feel it. You know what I mean? I love that sentiment. It's really great. Uh, that's it. I mean, the um, one thing is it, the instrumentation. I'm not talking about how the instruments are played, which is superior here, but the instrumentation is very similar to Sam Cooke. It's really just a kind mm. of tonal difference. There's a difference in spirit. There's also um, a rearrangement of lyrics and leaving out certain things. Sam Cooke talks about something with shoulder, and I can't remember what the exact line is, and that's what has the punch, so that when he delivers uh, the line, but, you know, if you really got to do your thing, wait, but you, if you really got to roll, you got to do the thing with soul. That and the Sam Cooke part is put in a different part so it doesn't have the kick. Otis takes that and says, you know, that's the rallying cry, right? But if you really, uh, what was it? But if you really roll, got to do your thing with soul, that's the big yeah. punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he recognizes that that was a missed opportunity. Yeah. It's, all right, it's funny. I, I was going to say this to later, but he does the opposite thing with satisfaction, right? When, mean, yeah, when like, we're supposed to get to the, uh, the, the, the big, hey, 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 Mick yeah. Jagger belting it out, yeah. uh, Otis goes, he, he underplays it, yeah. right? He cuts yeah. it way back, you know? Hey, 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 and he starts muttering something under it, yeah. right? It's it's almost like, um, I don't know, It's I, I feel like those things are challenges to like the sanctity of those songs, which I, I, I'm appreciating. I'm yeah. thinking that's that's good. That shows voice, that shows perspective, you know? Um, that's him, I think, at his clever best, you know, working intertextually. Ah. I don't have anything to say about my girl. I don't know. I was gonna say this is my my least favorite song on the See, entire album. See, this is my second least favorite. I I don't. It's, it's this is a taste thing, but "Rock Me, Baby." You're gonna say that does yeah. nothing for me. I I'm just I get that it's beautiful. I really like the horns in it, but I'm not a fan of traditional blues music. I think it's wait, we're talking about "Rock Me" or "My Girl." Well, I'm talking. I guess we're talking about them all, but um, I feel like uh, people like to say they like the blues, but. I don't really believe yeah, that they I'm, do. I was like on record blues. the last time saying the the kind of os, the very ostensibly blues material on that last album just left right. me completely cold. What, what was that song? It was that a um, woman uh, right. lover, a friend. Yeah, I, I I don't know. And again, you know, I'm sure there are people out there that are diehard blues fans. I don't want to take anything away from you. Like, it, it just it seems very repetitive to me. Um, I don't know. So so that was uninteresting to me because. It's blues yeah. essentially, but uh, but beyond that, my girl. Eh. All right, let me make the case then yeah, for my girl. Do. I mean, the the Temptations, Smokey Robinson song is is extraordinary, mm-hmm. right? I think we all agree. Like that. Oh, no, no, that's, I love that's the Temptations. Double uh, yeah. melody. It's beautiful song. This is the only song that I say is not. There's no argument that it's better than the original. But it is different. It is different. I mean, yeah. Otis adds the sex. I mean, yeah, no, he, I mean, he can't he can't help but do that, and the arrangement swings more. 
those horns, the piercing beauty of those trumpets when they come in. Well, I mean, I, it's it's not my favorite song on the album, no. but I think it's really good. I was surprised. It's it's a third single off the album too. Yeah. I was surprised. Huh. Yeah, but they um, yeah it was re- apparently not released in the states, but released in the UK. Really, that where it was huge. Yeah. yeah. So I I like the kind of um, the explicit challenge of it to Motown. You know, I'm always mm-hmm. like somebody that wants to champion stacks over Motown. I love Motown too, yeah. of course, but. Um, because, you know, they're, they're the independent spirit. They're the raw, you know, kind of pared down versus the, the glossy pop. Um, but I think the sex has everything to do with yeah. it, right? He and it's Otis alone. He doesn't, yeah. ha- he doesn't need the other four temptations backing him up with right. the backing of my girl. It's just Otis saying, my girl. He's not sharing his girl with four other dudes. You know, he's got <laughs> his girl. Yeah, no, that's what I was talking about before in terms of, like, um, this is a place to be individualistic, yeah. right? This is challenging. And... Right, My Girl was number one on the pop charts, like across the boards, right? It's one of the most mm-hmm. famous songs in pop history, right? This is this is a fuck you. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm doing it better. I just think it might fall short, you know. I yeah, I don't know. And again, I, I wouldn't want it removed from the album or something like this. I, I think it's perfectly fine. It just uh Yeah, I don't know. I feel like um Ah, I'm done. Uh, another claim to uh, masculinity. I like what he says. Uh, I've got all the riches, baby. One big man can claim. It's almost like ost- you know, saying very ostentatiously, "One big man." Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a big six foot four man. Yeah. You know, compared to you, five temptations. I don't know. I I, I like this. I, I read into this like yeah, an open no, challenge cool. to Motown. No, I, like I mean, that. even though they all claim there's friendly rivalry and whatnot, I buy that. I think there probably was. Yeah. But come on, the dude's covering my girl. I mean, that's I don't know. That's a statement. Smoky sacred. Um, <laughs> I love smoke. The uh, so so there, there's another interesting thing here. So I was looking at like how the singles kind of played out. So they did two singles from this album. Then he put out um, a separate singles thing, right? Which was um, just one more day, which mm-hmm. I think is kind of a throwaway. Backed with um, uh I can't tear you. Uh, I can't turn you loose, right. which is one of the best Otis writing songs ever. Right? Even though it's Sugar Pie, Honey Bunch. Right? Well, yeah, I know, but I don't care. Um, and then they brought this back in as a single. So, so I can't turn you loose is recorded simultaneously to Otis Blue, or is I think it was. I think those two are recorded later. Um, the uh, Just One More Day shows up on the solo album, which is next. Okay, but I can't turn you loose doesn't. Which I think is crazy. That that album would does that ever, does that ever show up on an album? I don't no, think it does. It's just collected like uh, yeah. like with you know posthumous collections yeah. later. That's the only reason I know it. But I mean, th- that's some of the best horns ever. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, it, that seems to be somewhat a failure that single. And I'm wondering if bringing my girl in is maybe a way to kind of shore up things because. But am I mistaken? Because I don't think my girl is released in the states. Well, as a single. I, I don't know. You might. But be you mean right. putting on the album? Is that what you mean? Yeah, it's a choice yeah. to put up. So because when does the uh, when does I can't turn you loose show up as a single before prior to the album release? Um, no, it's so <coughs> I, I don't know. Like I'm getting the impression that like it's showing up maybe in late summer. You know, after the first couple singles come out, right? Because uh, I've been loving you too long as a single. Like w- early before the album, I can't remember what's number two. I think Satisfaction comes out as the second single. Probably you know closer to the release of the album, then probably after in the summer you get can't turn you loose and the other one, and they probably need maybe an anecdote or go yeah. back to the sales of it you know so they go for the 
the sure shot of my girl, whether it's in Maybe. the UK or not. I don't know. Again, I'm making up narratives, but I kind of like we the, do. That's what we do. Um, Wonderful World is great. I would say the same thing you said about My Girl. This is where I feel Whoa, like... Really? The, right. I, I, oh, no, I, I, I like very much the Otis Redding version, yeah. but for me, there, you just can't top the, the Sam Cooke right. Ultimately, I agree. Yeah, ultimately, ultimately. But, I, but I don't really know what Otis is doing with it here. Yeah. Whereas I feel like I know what he's doing he's, with My Girl. He's making it more playful. Yeah? Yeah. yeah uh, right. Without a doubt. Okay. I think, uh, and he's doing the same thing where he's he's making the kind of aw shucks kind of high school sweetheart puppy love into kind of gritty raw sexuality you, you know and you know before I said that two out of three I think Otis does better this is the one I don't um, I think the lyrics you know particularly being like you know direct references to school and yeah. things lends itself more to Sam Cooke's sweetness it does yeah. it just does but he, he's playing with it like the whole line we use mm-hmm. the word algebra over and over <laughs> yeah. and, and or, saying or so, the algebra yeah <laughs> or the I can't remember which one does it give the definite article the geometry the yeah, maybe I think it is yeah uh, this doesn't have the vacuum vocals just like my girl yeah. I think they're very similar it right? does I mean it's got the just in the chorus you know what, what a wonderful world this would oh, be oh maybe that but yeah. it doesn't have that doesn't that, have that, that no you're echoing right. throughout you know yeah. that's very prominent in uh, yeah all through uh, part of it I mean I'm just prejudiced I mean one of my earliest musical memories is hearing this song you know, either oh. on the radio or I can't remember my maybe my dad playing an oldie station. And I just I melt when I hear the Sam Cooke song. So I know it from Animal House. In Animal House, yeah, yeah I didn't think. Yeah, that. Okay. It's John Belushi. Yeah, I don't melt. Right. By the way, in the cafeteria. cafeteria. Right. Yeah. That movie does not hold up. I'll uh, be on the right. It does right. not hold. Up. We could go. On I watched this like maybe ten years ago, so hoping that I would be blown away by it, like I used to be, and I just found it a mess. All right. Well, look. Uh, if we're talking like you know. PC ethos. No, not even nightmare. that. I just didn't it find it funny. I just didn't find it funny but, anymore. Oh no, I think I think uh, those performances are immaculate. Yeah. I think uh, the spirit of it's great. I like the ending. You are wrong. The whole parade scene is fantastic. It's the whole thing's fantastic, uh, man. Right. Another time. <laughs> even when it's raunchy. Um, all right, rock me, baby. I don't know. Anybody want to make a Nice. A bold argument I think for this you, one? You, no, I think I, I really like the triple horns. You know that that weird effect. Because it's not... Better. Better. Yeah. Better. What do you call that when there's like it's a kind like of a double stuttering. beat? Uh, it's just like a st- I don't know if there's a technical term. I'm sure there is. I know there's a technical term in drumming when you hit a snare just like slightly off with two, yeah. snack, two sticks. Um, I, I feel like the, the, the horns are doing that here. That, that's the only thing I point to and I go, that's really cool. And when it comes in like halfway through the song to kind of liven things up, I appreciate it because the blues yeah, are boring. It's, it's also, I mean, just sh- sh- stretching out, right? Yeah. Right, he's just stretching out, showing, uh, you know, showing what he can do. You know, I'm with you on that. This is this is a track that is rightfully put midway on the second side of an album because it's not. Yeah. It's yeah. the only one I really feel that about, I think, you know. Um, but whatever. It's fine. Um, all right. So, oh, Satisfaction was the fourth single I wrote in my notes here. I don't know what the second one was. I don't know. Um, whatever. But I, I, like, I really like Satisfaction. I'm not a huge Rolling Stones fan in general. I mean, I think they're fine. But, uh, this is, right, so, so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's, all right, so I do, do we all agree that the, the Rolling Stones song is fantastic? It's fantastic. It's a great, right? it's a great song. Great song. Really cool message, however you interpret it, whether, I mean, we talked about so what do you, this. Yeah, what do you, what do you make? Well, I don't know. I, so, I mean... You know, I, I, I've always read it as like, uh, you know, Anui, you know, 
not being able to just get any fix out of anything anymore. I mean, when everything is thrown at you, like how do you find your own satisfaction? So you're talking about general there's, angst. You're yeah, talking about there's general angst. There's also this, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's inescapable. Like yeah. the he says as much at one point, Jagger right. does at one point, like that you just, you can't get satisfied. Even in sex, it's not giving him satisfaction, right? right? Otis takes that and it's almost like he's flipping the whole thing. Like, you know, can't get satisfaction it's almost like, you know, I need more. Like, I just keep giving it to me yeah. because I can't, I can't, I'm not yeah. satisfiable. That's right? Like, the sex in this is un- right, implacable. Like, just keep it coming because so, I can't. So, stop. Jagger, in Jagger, the society is the problem. It's yeah. not giving me what I want. Otis's voraciousness is it's the, the insatiable yeah. appetite. Perfect. I which makes this right. one of the greatest part. I mean, I would never say that Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones is one of the greatest party anthems of all time. I would say the yeah. Otis yeah. Redding yeah. single is. Which is why I like the Otis Redding version so much more. It's just so he takes an awesome riff, or Cropper takes an awesome right. riff and just blows it out to what it should be. Yeah, and that's horns, reinvention. Those horns towards the ends, man, yeah. they blow out. It, it's a party. I mean, there's a reason why when the Stones start performing this later, I mean, they start doing the Otis Redding version. Yeah, you know, they recognize that it's definitely an improvement. You know, looking a little forward, I, I was thinking about this in terms of uh, you. You guys heard. Uh, his cover, Day Tripper, mm-hmm. right? Which is on the Dictionary album, yep. I think, right? Um, I don't know that that one works, but this one does. And I think it's because... he's doing a similar thing He's with doing that. a similar thing. I think it's because I have more of a reverence for the Beatles and their, song, the Beatles and their songwriting yeah. than the Stones, maybe? I don't know. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, the delivery of that sounds a little off because the, the message of that song, there's not really something to flip. It's yeah. not a joyous thing about right. day tripping. Like it almost seems like it's a misinterpretation of like you know partying, and that's not the message of the song. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I know. We'll talk about that later on, I guess. So uh, the last song I think is uh, is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love its placement. I think it's the perfect ending to this. Yeah. I think it bookends perfectly with um, Old Man Trouble, in terms of that kind of like old spiritual kind of yeah. sensibility right i mean this there, is this is essentially like william bell doing a kind of traditional gospel thing yeah. right and and then there's despite the sadness of the lyrics there's hope in the music it really is you know i've been loving you too long and it's too yeah. ambiguous ambiguous yeah. in the best way you can't end an album with i've been loving you too long unless you really want to end on a you know just a sad, yeah. you know, ambiguous note. Well, we, the, you said, I think a change is going to come might have been a, a good contender for the end. But then you said, no, I, I think yeah. not for just the same reason. Exactly. Like you want to have a little bit of bittersweet uplift and you get that with this. Well, and he sells a little better than that, that kind of sensibility than Bell does. I think yeah. he slows it down quite a bit. Yeah. And once again, what, what distinguishes all the covers are the horns. Yeah. The right. horns take them to a different place, and the lamentation and the begging and the regret, I think, is more pronounced with those horns selling you on those those, those emotions. I think that's right. And the begging is important at the end. Uh, you know, I want my water. I want yeah. thirsty. You know, like that implies there is relief. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that there, and that's where your hope comes in. I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think it's uh, but I'm sold on that pleading I am you know? too I mean I, it's a beautiful idea you know comparing love to water the most elemental thing on earth Otis makes it elemental that's, by those pleadings of just like yeah. I keep missing my water I mean that's that's not in the original yeah. I keep missing my water I want my water you know it's so, so I, I mean I, I'm thinking that um, 
that the original intention of this is not a love song, right? That it's more about kind of, it's more a, a gospel spiritual, right? The water is some is salvation or something like that, right? Am I reading that right? Um, I think Otis makes it into... It makes it a personal makes it personal again. But it has that vibe of yeah. a spiritual... Like, like so, so, even though I think Otis dwarfs, you know, the older versions I heard... My favorite version of this is The Doors from Sweetheart of the... Uh, the Doors. The, yeah, the, the Birds. birds. The bird, I don't like The Doors. <laughs> the Birds from Sweetheart <laughs> of the Rodeo, um, which is another one of my That's your favorite, favorite albums ever. I love that so much. It is beautiful. But, but they go back to... They go back to a kind of yeah. like old-timey, folksy, um, gospel kind of sure. read of it. Uh, and, and I don't... Why? Because they're you know they're beautiful harmonies. That's yeah, true. Can't get at the gritty dirtiness of of a love relationship that that Otis expresses. So it's it's but that, that you know once again I would say they're completely different songs, right? Like well, it's, it's the like, same fucking song. No, I mean, you know I what know. I mean. Like what we were I talking like about with Dodge. No, it's not a Dodge. All right, so it's the same fucking song to use your words, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not because you know the birds they, they take they, they're, they're going for a completely different interpretation of it just in their delivery of yeah it, right well no I think they're going back to the original intent yeah right and that's what the birds were into at that time they were trying to get at the uh, the, the soul of folk and you know and, and you know folksiness and things like that Otis is looking to the future the birds are looking to the past I'm not saying that's Otis a bad is thing. looking internally. Otis I, is looking. He's making sure. it more sure. human. Like when I listen to the birds version, you know, I swoon because of the harmonies. It's gorgeous. But when I listen to the Otis version, I swoon because of the emotion. Yeah. Like I, I swoon because I feel, I feel yeah. it as a human being. So I connect to that. You know, that's why they feel like very different songs to me. Because right. I feel like I go to them for different reasons. Like I would go to Aretha Franklin to Otis Redding for yeah. different reasons. Almost like I would go to two completely different songs. So you sold me. Let me change my metaphor, right? Otis is going internally, and the birds are going up to the heavens, right? Yeah. It's a prayer, you know? Well, and okay, by the way, so I'm not th- suggesting that's a bad thing. I actually prefer that, you know? I mean, sure. I'm not, you know... I'm glad that both exist. Right. Sam Cooke's, you know, change is going to come as a prayer. Otis yeah. Redding's is also a prayer, but it's, it's like a prayer that could possibly not be answered. Sure. You know I what like I mean? That. Whereas yeah. with the Sam Cooke, there is that assurance that a change is going to come. Otis is, is like, change's got to come because it can't get any worse than this. Yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, but it, it's, it's, I mean, don't, don't you see it like as a, Otis coming in with um, Old Man Trouble in the beginning and ending with this, there's something, right? I mean, you know, as much as I just argued he's looking to the future, and I think he is. He's a forward-looking artist as opposed to uh, a kind of artist that looks backwards and laments or whatever there um it, it certainly certainly shows respect to where he comes from he's putting himself on the continuum yes right yes. and yes. and and that that's a bold move yeah right because you don't do that with your debut album because you're right. still establishing yourself right. maybe even the second album here he is confidently placing himself on the continuum saying that he is you know, he's the crucible, the fulcrum, the whatever metaphor you want of that tradition carried on. He is yeah. the future of that tradition. Well, Rabowski talks about um, where around this time, like early, late 64, early 65, people are starting to throw around monikers like the greatest in soul and things like that. And there's a debate going on. It seems like at this point, maybe he's he wants to end the debate, right? That's maybe where his challenging sensibility is coming from. I don't know. It's it's great. Would you put this? Would you guys put this among the best albums ever? 
is that just too crazy or? I don't think so. How many are you going to give me? Because I mean, there's so many things that I can immediately think of, you know, that I would for my own personal. Is it hit your top ten? It's it's firmly in my top five. I'm putting it with Velvet Underground and Nico, The Clash, Love Supreme, maybe Sweetheart of the Rodeo, maybe uh, Black Sand and Sinner Lady, like like that kind of, you know. Prominence. I don't usually think in those terms, like you know, give me my ten, give me my twenty, or whatever. But I could, I could definitely say, in a decade, this will, this will be awesome to me. In two decades, exactly. this will be yeah. awesome for me. And I'm gonna want to hear this, maybe, you know, once every couple of months. Yeah. And that's the best you could say about an album. So, in, in a world where you have, you, know, you look back for a half a century of like pop music, have plus a century, you know, probably like 60, 70 years almost at this point. And you're still gonna to want to go back to this album, and that's that's for me is the is the is the mark of, of greatness. Yeah, I yeah, I so. can't I couldn't say it any better. Here, here. I'd like to end on that note, but we haven't talked about the cover, which I think is pretty <laughs> important. Um, so, is it me? I'm gonna tread lightly here, but the the cover is an extraordinary like artifact on its in its own right. Not just because it is a gorgeous rendering of this woman. Right, and, and says so much. But because, like, isn't it shocking for 1965 to put a white woman on the cover of a soul album? Like, particularly in the South, I, I feel like that's and that, incredibly that, bold. Yeah, that's what makes it even more great of a, of, of, of a thing to say. Because Absolutely. he's from Macon, Georgia, where yeah. if, he, if you did that in Macon, Georgia, I think it's established in the Rabowski book, I mean, something would have happened to you. Yeah, if you so much as, like, looked at a woman, yeah. right. let alone whistle at a woman, yeah. let alone put a woman commodified on your album underneath a your woman that name. Looks, that looks like she's in sexual ecstasy yeah, to boot, yeah. right? I mean, th- that in alone says so yeah. much. Particularly, I mean, if we're thinking about, like, I mean, Josh brought up last time how you know, the divide between Motown and Stax in terms of their image-making, right? Motown was only doing, um, you know what, just kind of generic covers because they didn't want, they wanted to appeal yeah. to white audiences. Stax puts Otis on the cover, two albums in a row, right, as prominent, great, you know. Now he can play with it, he can, he can actually go reverse and yeah. say something that's more outrageous. Motown is not going to catch up to this, even to the deep 70s, I think, yeah. right? It's incredible. I mean, just as a kind of like bold statement, it goes perfectly with those first three songs, and and their statement, I, I think it's it's extraordinary. Also, as far as like clever marketing ploy, I mean, you put that on the 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 racks, you know, it's non-threatening to the crossover audience if they're not really thinking deeply. Yeah. They put on those first three tracks, and you're hit with some of the most deeply spiritual music the guys put on. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like a Trojan horse, yeah. you know. And as we were, Joe oh, and I yeah. were talking the other day, nobody knows who that is. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know anything about that. Um, There's no, no information to be found on like listen the, to this. the speculation was that it was Nico. What? And Nico, <laughs> until, until her death, she never confirmed or denied that it was her. Then the other speculation, it's a, a, a German model. What the heck was her name? I got it down here. I looked Dagger. really hard. It could be Nico. It's pretty Dagmar similar. Dagmar Dreger, who I don't think you can find images of her anywhere out there. So it's Nico or her or somebody you don't know and nobody's ever, ever, no one knows apparently. No one knows. I, I want this so badly to be Nico because I love the idea of of her being part of this album in 65. And then, and then part, going on to the Velvet like, Underground. Going on Nico. to hang out on the Lower East Side and make that, like, 
Like, uh, I want her to be a, a uh, what is the Woody Allen movie? Um, where he switches... Uh, Zelig. Zelig. I want, yeah. her, I want her to be the Zelig of the 60s or something. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a gorgeous picture, right? And I love that it's not... Um, it's, it's like a photograph, but it has, like, the deep graininess. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of obscured in the blackness. Uh, it, it's, it's perfect. I gotta tell you, I think the album would benefit from just being called Otis Blue. Yeah, not, I never understood the split title. Yeah, my guess is it's probably a compromise. You know what I mean? It seems like like um, those kind of generic, you know, mm-hmm. Otis Redding sing soul like kind yeah. of things were the vogue of the time. Yeah, nobody calls it that though. Everyone no. calls it Otis Blue. Otis Blue. Yeah. It seems unnecessary. Otis Blue. Maybe you don't get the Redding in the title. You don't get. I don't know, the genre, maybe those are things that were important then. But if this were just simply Otis Blue, I think it would be a stronger statement. But that's, we're very much quibbling here. All right. The unfortunate part of this is that nothing's going to live up to it, right? That's, it, that's the, the problem of perfection of great genius, you know, that uh, I think well, there, there are moments coming, but I don't think we're ever going to get an album in its own right, that is like this. But on Dictionary the, Soul comes right. close, I think. Here's the good news, though. So I am completely unfamiliar with anything but the singles for the next album. Oh, is that right? Right. Okay. And then the posthumous albums, but for uh, Dock of the Bay, I don't know at all, all right. except for the singles as well. So there's a lot more room for discovery here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know Otis Blue. I've been listening to the album for, for many, many years now. I'm looking forward to discovering stuff that I didn't know existed. Me too. And we'll do it next time with the Soul Album. Yeah. Right. And you want to be free. My love is going to Come a habit to me who am loving you too long. I don't want to stop now. Oh. With you, my life has been so wonderful. I can't stop now.